Welcome to the Ball Might Lie podcast. For today's show, we've got Fight Night in the MLB, NBA Summer League Review, and Fantasy Football is coming up right around the corner. And then at the end, we'll wrap it up with some questions. Let's get right into it. So, Major League Baseball had a prelim for the Jake Paul-Nate Diaz fight with Tim Anderson and Jose Ramirez. This is one of the best baseball fights that we've seen in a little bit. It's been rumored that Tim Anderson and Jose Ramirez do not like each other off the field or on it. And you can see here, Jose Ramirez slides in head first into second base. And Tim Anderson lays a tag pretty right in the middle of his forehead. Uh, Jose Ramirez did not like this and stood up and starts bitching at him, yelling at him. And the best part of this whole fight is the umpire. The umpire gets right in between them, sees what's going to happen, and then he backs right up and lets him get to it as Tim Anderson throws down his mitt into the dirt and puts up his fists ready to go. The worst part about this video, obviously, is the pitcher Kopech. He's like trying to get in the middle of the fight and then ends up pulling Jose Ramirez away as Tim Anderson's laying into him. I think if you're breaking up a fight, you got to get in the direct middle of it or you got to pull back your own teammate. Jose had guys coming out of the dugout to pull him back. I think Kopech grabbed the wrong guy, and honestly, it might have been best for Jose because it got him away from Tim Anderson's punches, and he landed a mean right right into the jaw and dropped his ass onto the dirt. Tim Anderson had to go into concussion protocol and got pulled from the game and the next. Obviously, a couple of these guys are going to get suspensions. I don't know. It was awesome. I don't think you should suspend guys for fighting, especially when you get more. You're promoting it on social media, and then you turn around and tell the guys, hey, give us some of your paycheck, and you're not playing your next game. Uh, Baseball, in my opinion, as far as sports that you can get suspended for fighting, I think has the best fights. Obviously, you have UFC, boxing, MMA, bare knuckle, all those combat sports where fighting is the entire sport and then you have hockey which there's fights but all you really get is like a couple minutes in the penalty box the team gets some power plays and you're good baseball football basketball your ass is out you're getting fined you're not playing the next game so I think as far as sports fights go combat sports at the top for sure hockey is next absolutely and then baseball is the best of the suspendable sports. And then we got football. Football fights are, there's like five good ones in all time. That's mainly just because they have pads on. I think if football was played like in the 1940s and 50s where they didn't wear helmets and face masks, there would be a lot more good fights. But no one's trying to throw a punch into a face mask because all you're going to do at that point is break your own hand. You do get the anomaly like Andre Johnson and Finnegan when they get into it. And they both rip off their helmets and they're thrown down. You get some good like choke slam, stuff like that. But as far as like fist being thrown, it just doesn't really happen. And then basketball's dead last. These fights are pathetic, absolutely. A lot of the guys are just squaring each other up, chesting each other up. Hold me back, bro, hold me back. That's all they say. <laughs> fuck you, dude, fuck you. No no punches are hardly ever thrown. There's been a few. You got Rudy Tomajanovic and... The 80s getting rocked, getting facial reconstruction surgery. You got the old rules with the bad boys, Pistons, beating the shit out of Jordan, but not really like punches thrown there. And then you got, you know, Malice at the Palace, obviously, where fans get involved and that's no good. But outside of those few off the top of my head, there's not too many great basketball fights. You got the Metal World piece and a James Harden elbow. That's just a cheap shot. I don't really consider that a sports fight. But yeah, basketball fights are fucking lame compared to the rest of them. Um, Even football where they're wearing helmets to protect themselves. So after I just shit all over the NBA for their fighting techniques, we're going to go over the summer league and some of these draft prospects that I think will be future stars in this league. I got about five of them here that we're going to talk about and go over. Some of them are a little bit more questionable than others. Lower, Lower floors, higher ceilings maybe. Um, number one off the bat is Scoot Henderson. He didn't play a lot in summer league, but going three overall, he's got a deep bag. He's got the athleticism. He reminds me a lot of Gilbert Arenas as far as his handles and shot making goes. 
I think he's a lot better of an athlete than Gilbert, more like a Baron Davis type of athlete. I think he can make plays on both ends, unlike Gilbert on the defensive end as well. He's pretty muscular. He's not going to get pushed around by these guards. I think Scoot's got it all. I think he's going to be rookie of the year. He's got a really high ceiling as well, but I actually think there's a couple more guys with higher ceilings, but maybe the floor is not quite there for them or the opportunity. With that being said, I think Amen Thompson and Cam Whitmore are the reasons why the Rockets had the best draft class by far. Their free agency moves, signing Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks, I honestly don't understand why they did that. They drafted a man. They've got Jalen Green. They've got Kevin Porter Jr. That's like four guys that kind of do the same thing for you. And Van Vliet, yeah, he might be a little bit more experienced, but as far as like ceiling and defensive presence and athleticism, he's the fourth best guard in that room and they're giving him over a hundred million. I don't know. The leadership, I guess he won a finals. I don't know. I didn't like it. And then Dylan Brooks, I think is a better signing. Honestly, a lot of people like to flip him shit because of the way he acted in the Lakers series. I think he learned from that. I think he's good on defense. Yeah. Sometimes he shrinks in the moment. Obviously he didn't shoot very well versus the Lakers, which is a big reason why they lost. And he didn't exactly get into LeBron's head either. They're a young team. They're all going to learn together. I think more defense won't hurt them. But as far as the prospects go from the draft, Amen Thompson, I think he's the freakiest athlete in this class. Freakier than his twin brother. I think his jumper is a lot further along than his twin brother. They're both ugly as fuck. But I think Amen's is a lot more fixable, and these NBA trainers are going to definitely get their hands on it and fix a few things. And he'll be off to the races. And his leaps are crazy. His vision's crazy. I think he's got the potential to be the best in the class. My number one prospect, however, though, slid all the way to 20? What? I mean, I guess there was a medical for his foot, but Cam Whitmore is just that dude. He's got a crazy bag. He's athletic. He's like a prototype. He's like a Paul George, LeBron, small forward, athlete, defense, dunks, bag, mid-range, three-point. He's got it all, in my opinion, and as long as he can stay healthy... I think he can do it. I think this draft position for him is kind of similar to Michael Porter Jr. Where Michael Porter, I think, slid all the way to 12 to Denver. I know Knicks fans aren't happy when I bring that up. They took Kevin Knox. But I think KP, or MPJ is different than Cam Whitmore. I think that MPJ's injury was a lot worse. Yeah, he was a little bit more of a valued prospect coming out. But I think that Whitmore is a lot better of an athlete. He doesn't have the size of Michael Porter Jr., but I think the shot making is similar. I think the foot is probably going to be a little bit easier to overcome than Michael Porter's back. It took Michael Porter like two years to even, I don't even know if he's still healthy. It's hard to say, but I Cam Whitmore is my undisputed number one player in this class. I think he's got the best build, like almost like a Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown type of thing where like, man, if he gets the opportunity, that's a thing. They signed all these guys and they have all these young guards. I don't know if he's going to get a number one opportunity right off the bat. He might have to beat some of these guys out. I think Jalen Green's a great player. But I think a one-two punch of Jalen Green and Cam Whitmore and a Men Thompson facilitating the ball, I think that could be a championship roster here in the next five years. They just need some rebounding and some defense. But maybe Dylan Brooks brings some of that. And for big men, who knows about that. But I'm sure they'll find one. Next is Keontae George for the Jazz. I think this guy is... Probably got the flashiest, my favorite type of bag in the entire draft class. I don't know about his defense or anything like that. My big knock on Keontae George coming out was I don't know if he's fast enough to get by these NBA athletic defenders like that. I think his bag is a lot similar to like, I don't know, like a Lou Williams. But Lou Williams is a bit shorter than Keontae George, three, four inches. But man, Lou was one of the quickest guys on any court that he was ever playing on. And he played with AI, and some of those years he might have been quicker than AI. But Keontae George has got a crazy bag. I love his game. If he can develop maybe a little bit of speed and a little bit of get-by, like James Harden, where you don't necessarily need to be the quickest dude to get by everyone, I think he's definitely got a bright future and maybe even like a six-man-of-the-year candidate. I know that Jordan Clarkson's on the team. I don't know if they're going to start Jordan, bench Keontae. I don't know. I think that that's a good mentor for him to have coming into this league and then last but not least obviously we have Wemby 
Wemby is one of the most coveted prospects since I've been alive. I was too young to really remember LeBron. The one that I really remember being this hyped was Anthony Davis and Zion Williamson were the two that kind of stick out to me. But Wemby's got all the hype behind him. I think it is a little bit unfair because the Spurs are, uh, they got some pieces. They got Sohan. They got Keldon Johnson. I don't think Victor's going to come in and bring him to the playoffs. I mean, it's a little bit easier now with the play-in game and such. But I feel like Victor's offense has been a little bit overrated by the media. I know it's cool to see him in this French league, you know, shooting a three, missing it, getting the rebound, dunking it. He's going to do that type of stuff. But as far as, like, pull-up jumpers, stuff like that, that, you know, people are saying, oh, he's got, like, a KD type of offense. He does not. He's not nearly as fast as KD, not nearly as quick. I mean, he can develop those types of things, but I think right off the bat, he's going to have issues getting his shot off, especially against these athletic NBA defenders. He's going to have more space. He's going to get to the rim. He's going to have his moments on offense, but I don't think he's going to come in and be a number one. I think Kelton Johnson this year is still going to remain their number one scorer. On the defensive end, however, I think he's pretty much already there. I think that he's going to be a top three rim protector coming up. You know, Rudy Gobert, Walker Kessler, Anthony Davis, I think he's going to be right up there with them. Uh, Chet Holmgren as well. They're kind of similar players in my opinion, but Victor's, uh, Victor's obviously got a lot more hype coming in. Um, I don't know. I think that he's going to be an elite rim protector for some time c- to come, but his offense has got to develop. I think he's got to get a little bit more of like a mid-post game, like a Kevin Garnett type of thing to be super effective. I think that he landed in the perfect spot, though. Greg Popovich is going to coach him up. He's going to put on some size. I don't think he needs to put on a bunch of muscle like everyone's saying, but I think he needs just maybe a little bit more to be competitive in the low block on offense. And then that will be it for our draft prospect analysis. If you want me to talk about a different prospect that you might think is going to be super good, Send me an email. Give me a question. I'll talk about them. I watched a few of the guys, not all of them, but these five guys are the guys that stuck out to me. And before we get into the fantasy football section of today's podcast, we're going to talk about Dalvin Cook because he's a huge mystery going into our fantasy drafts this year. I think Dalvin Cook, he's very interesting. It's a lot harder to predict than I think it is for most people. I think a lot of people are just chalking him into the Jets or the Dolphins. As we saw with DeAndre Hopkins, as soon as he requested his trade, it was Chiefs, Ravens, Bills, all those big teams that everyone thinks that the star players, once they get cut, are going to go to. And then, oh, all those things he said on the podcast were he wants a winner, he wants a good coach, he wants a good defense. He signs with the Titans, which, yeah, the Titans have a great head coach with Rabel. Their defense will always be semi-competitive with them. I don't know, as far as the talent, they got Simmons, the big defensive tackle and a couple safeties but I mean I don't know they're not the most talented defense they're not as talented as like let's say the Ravens or the Bills I think the Chiefs are kind of close to the Titans actually in talent they got a lot of young guys like McDuffie they have Chris Jones who's the best defensive tackle in the league I'm not sure it's just sometimes these guys say stuff and then they go somewhere else unexpected no one was chalking in the Titans for DeAndre Hopkins when he requested a trade or as soon as he got cut it's kind of once he started visiting those Patriots, Titans teams where people are like, oh, he's kind of going for a bag before he retires, which is all right. I mean, <laughs> you play the game to get money and retire and not have to work another day of your life and give your family everything they ever wanted. So no hate to DeAndre. It's just a lot of people predicting that he was just instantly going to go to a contender on like a vet minimum or like a super discounted rate. It's just not as realistic as a lot of people make it out to be. So as far as Dalvin Cook, I think it is a little bit different because as far as teams needing running backs versus receivers, it's a lot different, and the money's a lot different. I think that Dalvin Cook is probably looking for just under that $10 million franchise mark, maybe like an 8 or $9 million deal, and there's not too many teams that I think are wanting to give that to him. It's just because either they have like a decent running back on a rookie deal or a franchise tag, or they have a guy that's hurt coming back, like the Jets, where everyone's chalking Dalvin Cook into. Brees Hall's coming back from an ACL. The Patriots, are, I guess, are looking at Dalvin Cook. They have Ramondre Stevenson's, which I think would be a great one-two punch. I don't know if Bill's going to dish out 
money money to running backs. He's never has before. I think Ramon J. Stevenson's should even be looking over his shoulder to some undrafted guy that's on their team that Bill might have a fancy for. And then you got the Broncos as another team that Dalvin Cook is being looked into as long as as well as the Seahawks for the same reason. They have guys that are coming back from injuries or banged up in training camp. I think the Broncos is a lot less likely. I think Javante Williams has looked I promising so far is what the reports have been. And so they signed Samaj P. Ryan already. I don't think that Sean Payton is going to be giving out any more money to running backs. Seattle is a little different. I think they are a little bit more tight-lipped with how their guys are doing in training camp. Charbonnet and Walker have been banged up in camp. Seattle running backs, besides Marshawn Lynch, kind of seem to have like an injury bug. It's kind of like the 49ers quarterback situation where you look up and that guy's hurt every other week, it feels like. So they might be looking at Dalvin. I'm not sure. The Dolphins people are chalking up because I think he's from Miami. Um, they have decent running backs. Nothing that makes your eyes pop and say, wow, that's a dangerous weapon. I mean, Mostert and Wilson are really fast. They have the rookie of Cheney, which we're going to talk about here in a minute. But I'm not sure. I think that a sneaky option for Dalvin Cook, if he doesn't want to be maybe in a crowded room where there's guys coming back from injuries, is the Raiders, which is weird because I know people are thinking that Josh Jacobs is the running back there. Technically, he is not. They have given out a franchise tag on him. They've placed it on him. He has not signed it. He is not under contract. He is not at camp. He's not even in the state of Nevada right now. The Raiders can pull their franchise tag anytime they want. They could pull it to him tomorrow. And Josh Jacobs would suddenly be a free agent on the open market. Um, the f- franchise tag for running backs is about $10 million, I think. And... Josh Jacobs is going to be disgruntled even if he does play on that $10 million contract. So I think a sneaky option is for the Raiders to pull that franchise tag from Josh Jacobs' feet and sign Dalvin Cook for that $8, 9000000 million that he's looking for. And guess what? The franchise tag is fully guaranteed. This $8, 9000000 million that Dalvin Cook's seeking out is not going to be fully guaranteed. That's for sure. I think Dalvin Cook should look at the Raiders and maybe say, hey, because he'll be the undisputed number one back there if he goes to Las Vegas. And if it's a one-year deal, he'll be on the market again. The market next year might be a little bit different from this year, how it's been super, super bad for the running backs, unfortunately. And then that would leave Josh Jacobs in an awkward spot where the same teams that were looking at Cook are looking at Jacobs. So I don't know what the Raiders are thinking with that. I don't know if they're going to try to work something out, give him a little pay bump so he comes back happy. I'm not sure. I don't see it. I don't think that his relationship with McDaniels is very well. He played him in the Hall of Fame game last year, basically telling him, hey, you got to fucking earn it, pal. I know you're certified here, but not with me. I think the only thing that would keep this from happening, though, is the owner, Mark Davis. I think Davis loves Jacobs, and I think that he wants to give him a long-term deal, maybe if it's not for the money that the GM wants. So that's the one thing that I think that would stop that from happening. And if that doesn't happen, I think that Dalvin Cook actually will end up with the Jets. Aaron Rodgers just took a massive pay cut. And it's easy to see him saying, hey, this is a championship roster. Brees Hall's coming back from an ACL. We're going to be a good one-two punch. I don't know. I I think that's the spot he ends up if the Raiders don't pull that trickery. But, I, I yeah, everyone's chalking Dalvin up to the Jets. I think that's a good move for him if the Raiders don't make him an offer like what I was proposing there so let's talk about fantasy football I know a lot of drafts are coming up for these for you guys there's a lot of information on the internet about fantasy football and I'm laughing because of the topic I'm about to talk about and that is the sleeper and when I'm saying the sleeper I'm doing air quotes in my hands I know you guys can't see it we don't have video pod (laughs) set up quite yet hopefully we'll get there soon but I'm saying a sleeper. Last year, this guy was Tyler Algier, no doubt. The sleeper that I'm referring to is the low-round running back or receiver that's got a big opportunity to succeed that no one's that no one, air quote, is talking about. Last year, it was Tyler Algier. He didn't have that big of competition in the backfield. I know that Cordell Patterson went off again, but people were thinking that Tyler Algier from week one was going to be that guy. Um, he did have a good rookie campaign. 
especially towards the end of the year when Cordell kind of got less target shares in that backfield. He's a good player, and all props to him. I think he's awesome. But as far as the sleeper, it's it's like, yeah, he's a sleeper, I guess. He's more of like a late-round fantasy pick that everyone knows about, and it's just whether or not you draft him or not in those late rounds. They're not a sleeper. Every other video on your TikTok feed is talking about the guy. And I think there's two guys that kind of fall into that category this year. It's every other video on my TikTok, I swear to God. I get it. I know these guys have good opportunities, and they're on teams that are going to be somewhat all right on offense, I feel like. But, like, man, they're not sleepers at that point if everyone, if those are the two guys that everyone's talking about in late rounds that you have to pick. Let's have some variation, some variety. There's tons of league winners all over the place in fantasy football. And it's not just two guys. Let's get some other information. And the two guys that I'm talking about that I'm just going to bring up, they're not going to be in my fantasy list here. It's Devin Achaney for the Dolphins and Nico Collins for the Texans. I swear to God, every video on TikTok is these two guys. If you see a video about a late-round sleeper wide receiver or late-round sleeper running back, it is going to be one of these two. And you can draft them. I'm not going to hate if you draft them. Draft who you like, but I don't know. I just don't consider those guys sleepers at this point because everyone's talking about them. So we have a lot of fantasy football strategies that like to be floated around. There's a, Like I said, there's a ton of information. People are talking zero RB, hero RB, draft seven wide receivers first, a QB in the last round, and then fill the rest out with running backs. Yeah, you got all these strategies, which can help certain people that don't really know much about fantasy. But I feel like if you are into it and they're semi-competitive, I think you just got to draft the best player you think is going to have, like the best player that's going to have the best season, in your opinion. There's a lot of strategies. There's a lot of rules to follow according to certain people. I think you just should draft the people you like. You should do a little bit of research yourself and draft the people you like. I'd way rather have a guy have a season-ending injury or be a bust for the year, but I was like, man, that sucks. I made a mistake in my evaluation. Instead of just listening to the guys saying draft Devin and Cheney, and then you draft him because you think that everyone on TikTok knows what they're talking about. And then he has a terrible season. I would really rather have someone bust under my watch and my evaluation than just listening to someone else and then having the guy shit the bed. And me being like, man, I didn't really want him, but I took him anyways because someone else told me to. So I think you got to be a little bit individualistic. Look at some of these guys that you might like. Um, a rule I have is I don't draft Ravens, my favorite team, because if they shit the bed that week... And we lose, we, not me, I'm not on the team. If the Ravens lose, and then I lose because my guy has a bad week in fantasy, and in real life it's a double whammy, so I just choose to stay away from those players. And I like to look at other teams that, you know, I might root against, the Steelers. Fuck the Steelers, but (laughs) if they got a good fantasy option, I'm going to take them because guess what? If I'm watching the Ravens and Steelers and this guy's busting my ass, guess what? He's helping me out on the fantasy end. So... I don't know. I think it's a, there's a lot more fun to be had on fantasy football than all these dorks putting together numbers and stats and reasons why you should draft Nico Collins. So draft who you like. Do a little bit of research if you want to have more fun with it, in my opinion, instead of just listen, listening to other people's opinions. Yeah, other people's opinions can sway you. Maybe help you out if you're unsure about some things. But don't just follow and do as you're told. So the way we're going to do this is I'm going to give you one position, QB, RB, wide receiver, tight end. I'm going to give a high-end option that I like, a a middle-end option, if that's even a thing, that I like, and then a low-round sleeper guy that I like. One for each position, and then I'm going to go over a wild card at the end that I think could be a big big hit-or-miss guy. Um, These high-end guys that I'm going to talk about here are going to be in your first couple rounds, round ones and twos, that... They're going to be the stars. You don't got to worry about them. The only thing that's going to make them be a bad pick is if they get hurt. And I think the quarterback for this year is easily Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he just came off of an MVP, Super Bowl MVP. I think he was QB1 in fantasy last year. Maybe it was Jalen Hurts. But one of the best QBs for fantasy. Um, He's going QB1. He's like a round two. I've seen some things online where he goes late round one I would not pick him there if you can get him into mid to late round two maybe top of especially top of round three if you get Kelsey especially you got to take him Uh, I 
typically don't like to take QBs this high, but if you like Mahomes, you think he's cool, you like to watch him, you want a little bit more action on him, go ahead and take Mahomes. And then for running back, I think this one is pretty clear as well. Nick Chubb is a dog. He doesn't have the receiving that a Saquon, a Christian McCaffrey, or an Eckler has. But it doesn't matter. He's behind one of the best lines in the NFL. Kareem Hunt is not taking away snaps from him anymore. Yeah, I'm sure the backup guy that they have now, who knows what who it is, is going to take a few snaps away from him. But Nick Chubb is that guy. He's been consistently awesome. He's a dog, like I said. He He's going round two. He's the RB5 for this year. I could see him finishing RB1 or two even without receiving options. They're going to be a grounded pound team, still trying to get Deshaun Watson back into the rhythm of things. I think Nick Chubb is going to have a breakout year. For wide receiver, I have Devontae Adams. He's going as the wide receiver seven in round two. And a lot of people are shitting on Devontae Adams because not him, Jimmy G. Which, yeah, I think that Derek Carr is probably a better quarterback than Jimmy G. But as far as performance goes with the Raiders under McDaniels, I think that Jimmy G is not going to be worse than Derek Carr was. Derek Carr had a bunch of coaches. His time was done in Vegas, especially. They ran him out of town. McDaniels is in. Guess who wanted Jimmy G to be drafted when he got drafted into the league by the Patriots? That's right. It's McDaniels. As long as Jimmy G stays healthy, Devontae Adams is going to go off. And I think even their rookie QB that they drafted, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. I think even if Jimmy G does get hurt, I think that that guy will be a McDaniels guy. And they'll run the offense better than Derek Carr did last year. And Devontae Adams went off. And the number one thing I think people aren't talking about is I know Darren Waller isn't on the team anymore, and he was hurt a lot last year, but he still took away targets from Devontae Adams within the game plan, even when he was healthy. They didn't expect him to be out for that long, I don't think. So I think Devontae Adams is going to be that guy in Vegas this year. Take him in the second round. Wide receiver seven, I don't think so. I think he's higher than that. And then for the last high-end guy, I have Travis Kelsey, obviously. He's tight end one. He's a round one player. He's got the best positional advantage in the entire league for fantasy. I think that if you don't like the guys at the top, I I wouldn't take him at pick number one, but pick two down, I think he's fair game if you don't like the other options there. He's a beast. I, I think the one thing about Kelsey is people are saying, oh, he's old. He's eventually going to fall off. He was old last year. People think he was going to fall off last year. I don't know. I just, until he gets hurt or he shows us that he isn't tied in one, I think you got to take him. He's that guy. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to get into the mid-end and low-end guys, and then we'll wrap up with some questions. Okay, we are back, and we're going to go over the middle-end options that I wrote down, and I think are going to have big-time seasons. That can win you your fantasy leagues. You know, you got the top-end guys, which are your validated stars. They're going to be those guys as long as they're on the field. The middle guys are guys that, man, I you really hope that they're going to be awesome. They could be high-end guys next year going off of how their seasons go this year. I feel like this is the meat and potatoes of everyone's team. This is where fantasy championships are crowned is in these middle rounds. So, for our middle end QB, we have Justin Herbert is going QB6, and he's going in the third round. Um, QB6, if you're playing 12-man full PPR, which is what I do. I probably should have disclosed that before I gave these guys out. 12-man PPR, QB6 is right smack dab in the middle. I think that Justin Herbert at QB6 is an extreme value. I think he can have just as good of, if not better, seasons than everyone above him. He's not the biggest scrambler or runner, just like Mahomes, but he can still get out of that pocket and move. He can still QB sneak, but he's got a cannon of an arm. He's got weapons all over the field. I think third round QB, if he's going the six QB and half the people above you already have QBs and half the people below you don't, I think he's a guy to go for. And then we have, for our running back here, we have Kenny Walker the third. 
as I talked about earlier, he's been having some issues with his groin in camp. I think Kenny Walker is going to be fine by week one. And I think that even with the addition of Zach Charbonnet and their third string running back, who knows who it is, I think Kenny Walker, unless Dalvin Cook comes along, which I don't think is going to happen, I think Kenny Walker can finish as a top 12 running back this year. He's going as the RB16 in round three. I mean, everyone's been talking about the Seattle wide receivers. Geno's going to have an air raid offense this year. He's got a Smith and Jigba. He's got DK Metcalf. He's got Tyler Lockett. Yeah, he's got an array of weapons outside, but guess who's the coach? It's Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll runs the ball. Pete Carroll will run the ball, and Pete Carroll has always ran the ball, no matter what receivers are out there and whoever his running back has been. I think Kenny Walker is his most talented maybe running back he's ever had in the pro level. Marshawn Lynch was a beast, but as far as receiving work, quickness, I think Kenny Walker is a fuller talent. Um, as far as reliability, durability, through the tackles running, Lynch has obviously got him beat so far. He's got the career, but I think Kenny Walker has the potential to be everything plus with Marshawn Lynch has done in Seattle. So, as a round three running back, I think if you need a running back to have on your team, if you're running Hero RB, as they say on TikTok, I think Kenny Walker is definitely a guy to mark on your draft sheets. For wide receiver, I think this guy has gotten a lot of slander recently for no reason, and that is Christian Watson of the Packers. He's going as the wide receiver 24, and he's going in round four. I think this is a perfect spot for him ADP-wise. I don't think it's a major steal. I don't think it's a major reach for him here in this spot. Christian Watson is an athletic freak. All people remember from last year is two things. One, his Butterfingers first play of the season go route from Aaron Rodgers and he just drops it. Guess what? He was a rookie. It was his first snap in the league and they called his name. That's how much they think about the guy. They had Aaron Jones in the backfield. They could have ran an outside toss or something with him. They've had, yeah, they called his number on the first play and he was, and he got open. I know it was the Vikings defense and we all know how that went last year, but I think Christian Watson is an undefiable talent. He's going to be the guy this year. I think that, an underrated aspect that we'll go over later with one of these sleeper guys is the young QBs and the young RBs or not RBs, young wide receivers mesh a little bit better than these older and young guys. I know last year Dobbs said something about how Aaron Rodgers never hangs out with him and stuff like that. He was hanging out with Randall Cobb the whole time, which is fine. Aaron Rodgers probably doesn't relate too well with those younger wide receivers. And he was a little bit disgruntled with the front office but also that does have an effect on the chemistry between the players. And I think Jordan Love coming in, I think Christian Watson's going to have a better year than last year. We all know that Love isn't the talent that Rodgers is, and he's not proven yet. But I still think that Jordan Love will be good. And that's the main question mark about this Christian Watson pick, is if Jordan Love will be any good. I think he is going to be at least decent. He's had three years to sit and watch. It's not like he's a fresh baby deer coming out of the NFL draft. From college football he's seen what the NFL's like he knows what's coming for him Christian Watson is going to have a banger of a year he's going to be higher than the wide receiver 24 in my opinion I don't know if he can be in a wide receiver one in fantasy which is the 12th best wide receiver but I think he can be just like one of the top wide receiver twos for sure and then for tight end if you've been paying attention to Giants Twitter at all all you've heard about is how good Darren Waller has looked. Why some of these training camp reports are a little bit juiced up trying to make players look good. You know, Michael Lombardi says it's Buzz Lightyear. Everyone's light years ahead in training camp, which is true. But Darren Waller has kind of been slept on, I feel like, coming into this fantasy season. He's tight end six, just like Justin Herbert was QB six. I think that there's not going to be five tight ends better than Darren Waller this year. His main question mark is his health, obviously. He was a bit banged up the past couple years with the Vegas Raiders. But I think with the Giants, I think he's going to have a fresh start. We know that he didn't exactly like McDaniels, is the rumors. Um, Tight end six going in round five. I think this is probably one of the biggest steals in the draft. Like Christian Watson, I said, I think the ADP is spot on for him. I think Waller is being slept on here by the ADP. I think that... He's going to be Daniel Jones's 
number one target. He's going to have that safety net finally. And I think another slept on thing about Darren Waller as a pick is that Brian Dable made Cole Komet and Daniel Bellinger look way better than they are. Dawson Knox was like one of the most hyped people at last offseason, but once Dable was gone, he didn't really amount to much this year. I think Dayball knows how to get the tight end open. He made Bellinger look like damn near a pro bowler. I think with Darren Waller, who's like one of those slot tight ends that can win on the outside all the time, I think that Dayball is going to make him one of the top three tight ends behind Kelsey, obviously, and Mark Andrews. But I think that Waller can even surpass Andrews this year in that New York Giants offense. So, after this, we're going to get into the low-end guys and questions. All right. For our low-end fantasy guys that I think are absolute steals this year, starting off with a QB, and it's got to be Daniel Jones for the Giants. Um, I, I don't know why this makes any sense, but he's ranked as the QB 14 right now. So, if you were playing in 12-man leagues, he's considered a backup QB, and for what reason, I have no idea. I think he was top 10 last year. He's got good running game. He's got legs himself. I think their offense upgraded, actually, adding Darren Waller and a couple outside guys that are still unproven, but I think will end up better than last year's group, which was probably one of the worst in the entire league. Daniel Jones is a backup QB. Makes no sense. I think he's a potential top eight QB fantasy this year. Um, you can get him in round nine is what they have him projected out as. I'm... If you get Darren Waller, this is a must-stack option, in my opinion. I think that Daniel Jones-Darren Waller connection is going to be all over the field. It's going to win you a lot of games, and it's going to be on a bargain. As far as running backs go, it's hard because there's kind of that RB dead zone people proclaim. I'm going to pick a guy a little bit lower, and that is Jalen Warren of the Steelers. He's ranked right now as the RB 49, and you can get him in round 11. Jalen Warren is not the flashiest pick in the world, I'm not going to lie to you. And I don't think right off the bat he's going to be a huge factor in your guys' teams. Um, I think that Najee Harris will end up having a better year. But in that off chance that he's still having vision issues, seeing the holes, and then, I don't know, for some reason I think Mike Tomlin prefers Jalen Warren in a lot of situations over Najee. Um, upgraded offensive line is going to make it easier for the Steelers running backs this year. I think Jalen Warren is a guy that you should pick up, especially if you draft Najee Harris early. you got to pick Jalen Warren as a backup just in case Najee goes down. Even if you don't have Najee, I think that Jalen Warren might get a lot more touches than people are leading on. As for is the wide receiver in the low-end category, we're going to go back to talking about that young wide receiver-quarterback combination that just seems to be a factor we talked about. Christian Watson and Jordan Love. We got George Pickens and Kenny Pickett last year. If Mitch Trubisky was starting, George Pickens, I was not playing. If Kenny Pickett was starting, George Pickens was a must start. It was felt like every time Kenny Pickett started, George Pickens had a touchdown within the game. But for our low-end wide receiver, I'm going to go with Jonathan Mingo of the Carolina Panthers. Right now he's rated as wide receiver 62, and he's around 13 get. So, Mingo, it seems like it's almost like a crowded wide receiver room in Carolina. You got Adam Thielen, you got Terrence Marshall, and you got DJ Chark to go along with him. So a lot of people are chalking him in as the wide receiver four. Plus you have Hayden Hurst, which is going to take up even more targets. And I just don't see Mingo being the fourth guy. Terrence Marshall's always been like a ceiling guy where people are like, oh man, if this guy pans out, he's going to be super good. I've seen like one game where he quote-unquote panned out. I think that he's not going to put it together all of a sudden in one offseason. And if he does, good for him. I hope he does. But I just don't see it. And then DJ Chark, he's kind of always in and out of the lineups with some sort of nagging injuries. He's more of a deep threat option, and he's not going to be getting consistent targets over the middle of the field. And then Adam Thielen is getting up there in age. I think he's more of just a red zone target and a vet guy to help out these younger receivers come along and develop. So for two rookies coming in and Bryce Young and Jonathan Mingo, I think Mingo can make a big difference over the middle of the field, getting a lot of receptions, racking up those PPR points, 
And also, I think he can be a pretty good red zone threat. I mean, Thielen and Hurst will take away from that a little bit. But I still think that Bryce Young is going to be looking for this guy in the end zone this year, especially with the shaky run game and running backs back there in Carolina. And then lastly, another rookie for our tight end position. And this guy is going to be Sam Laporta. Right now, he's chalked in as the tight end 17 in round 11. And I think after this preseason, it's going to be hard to get him at this value. Um, maybe just based off of ADP rankings, but I think there's going to be a lot of people not watching the Lions preseason, and I don't think that preseason is a determining factor whether these guys are going to be good, but a lot of these rookies are going to be flashing in these next couple weeks, and I think that Laporta is going to go up the draft boards a little bit, but I still think he's going to be a great value. I think Sam Laporta has a chance to be the best tight end from this tight end class, I think with Jamison Williams' suspension, he's going to get a lot more targets from Jared Goff early. I think he's going to be a big difference on this Lions offense that everyone kind of seems to be high on when they have a lot of moving parts in this offseason. I think Sam Laporte is going to be their franchise tight end for years to come. And then lastly, we're going to be talking about what I think is going to be the biggest wild card of the fantasy season. And that is QB Anthony Richardson for the Colts. This guy is a freak of nature athletically. We all saw his combine stats. We all saw his deep balls at Florida. We all saw his inaccuracy issues at Florida. He's kind of one of those guys where if he pops, he's going to pop fast and early. And if he struggles, it's probably going to be a rookie year, maybe even two-year type process to get him developed into the starter they want to be. I think for fantasy value, he's going to be better than a lot of people think. He's chalked in a little bit higher than I would take him if he was going to be a starting quarterback on my team and I just wanted a low-end QB to get the job done, like a Kirk Cousins or a Daniel Jones or any of those types of guys, Jimmy G maybe even. Um, but as far as a backup go, if you get one of these high-end quarterbacks like uh, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen – I think you are eventually going to stay away from these types of guys like Anthony Richardson. But I think if you draft that mid-round quarterback, like the QB 8 and 9-ish range, I think Anthony Richardson is a guy to pick up for your bench just in case he actually does pop, which I think is a real possibility. I think the Colts wide receiver room is a little bit underrated. I like Pittman and Pierce, a lot of jump ball catchers. So even if Anthony Richardson's accuracy still needs a little bit dialed in, He's got two guys on the outside with big catch radiuses, and that's not even including their big tight ends with Mo Alley-Cox and the Jelani Woods out of Virginia. So I think that Anthony Richardson very well could pop and end up being like a top 10 fantasy QB this year just based off of Shane Steichen and his type of offense that we've seen with Jalen Hurts and the ability to use his legs, get out of danger, advance up the field, score rushing touchdowns. I think that you might as well take a swing on him as long as you don't have a solidified quarterback in your lineup. So for our first question of the podcast, we have who do you think is going to win the sixth man of the year in the NBA? I think this is a very interesting question. I think it's one of the most slept on awards in sports. It's always cool to see those bench players that can get a bucket or make a huge impact on the team get celebrated at the end of the year. Um, and as far as six man of the year award goes, it's pretty hard to predict now that guys like Jamal Crawford and Lou Williams have stepped out of the league. It seems like a guy like Tyler Hero or Malcolm Brogdon will always be an option up there. And this year I was trying to find the gambling favorites just because I wanted a reference to see who kind of was already considered. There wasn't specific odds on this issue. Uh, the main thing I was seeing was Emmanuel Quickly and Buddy Heald. I think that those are two guys that definitely have the potential to win the award, but I also wouldn't be surprised if Quickly gets some starting minutes this year. Um, I think he makes a bigger impact off the bench, but I could also see him getting some starting reps. Um, as far as Buddy Heald goes, I think that the Sixth Man of the Year award is kind of a young man's game now. I think that he's kind of aging out as far as front runners and people watching. I know the Kings are a good team and that they're going to be a fun playoff team, especially with Fox and Sabonis. But I actually, that's why I'm going to turn my attention over to one of his teammates in Davian Mitchell for this Sixth Man of the Year award. Davian Mitchell 
probably isn't your prototypical guy you think of when you think of this award. You think of a guy that's going to come off the bench and score you 25, probably give up 25 on defense as well, not make a big of an impact on that side. I think Davian Mitchell's offense is going to come along quite a ways this year, and his defense is evident from the day he stepped on an NBA court and in college. So I think Davion Mitchell is my front runner this year. This is who I'm going to lock in for my award winner. If he starts a lot of the year, I could see a Buddy Heald could be in there. Malik Monk as well. But I think Davion Mitchell best serves coming off the bench after De'Aaron Fox has tired you out in the starting lineup. Another guy that I think is a dark horse, and I just talked about a guy aging out of the award, is Terrence Mann. Terrence Mann is a lot older than people think. He's like 27 or 28. But I see his role for the Clippers expanding this year. I think Paul George and Kawhi are going to be forced to play a lot more. Um, Ty Lue approached them after the season and said that we need to take the regular season more seriously. I think Terrence Mann's going to be coming off the bench most of the year. He's got vet experience now. He's kind of getting comfortable within his role in that Clippers team. And he kind of can do it all a little bit. I like Davian Mitchell quite a bit more than Terrence Mann just because he's young and up and coming. But Terrence Mann is another guy to look at. For our next question, we're going to be switching over to baseball, and we are asked who are some potential dark horses for the MLB playoffs and who's going to slide in at those last wild card spots. So I think the wild card race this year is a little bit more interesting than most years just because there are a couple teams closing in here that are closing the gap a little bit on that final wild card spot. There is three wild card spots this year opposed to the regular two that it's always been in Major League Baseball. And right now, I kind of am locking in the Rays and Houston in as the two American League spots, and I'm marking in Philadelphia as the only National National League team that I think will make it. We got the last three teams coming up on that last wildcard spot in Toronto, Seattle, and Boston as of right now. I think any of these teams can get in. I think Boston's the least exciting out of those three. I think Seattle's the most exciting out of those teams, and I think Toronto's just kind of going to be the team that hangs on to the race and ends up making it in. As far as making noise in the playoffs, I don't see Toronto doing so. I don't think Tampa Bay is going to make any noise, too. They're kind of that analytical team. Yes, their record is amazing. They got depth, but I just don't think they have the star power right now to take them over the hump. Houston is the defending champions. They got to earn their respect from me. Yeah, a lot of people call them cheaters. They kind of outlawed it. They didn't really get very much punishment. We know we all hate them. I hate them. But I think Houston's probably the American League wildcard team that's going to make the most amount of noise, if any of them do. And then moving on to the National League, we got Philadelphia, San Francisco, Miami, Chicago, Cincinnati, and Arizona. We got a deep wildcard race here. Philadelphia is the team I think is definitely going to make it. And for the final two teams, I think it will end up being the Miami Marlins and the Chicago Cubs. Um, Not a whole lot of reason. I don't know much about the Cubs or the Reds besides Ellie De La Cruz. And I know nothing about the Giants at this point. They're pretty boring to me, and that's why I think they'll eventually drop out. They got some pitching, and they got some hitters. But I honestly don't really want to see them in there. I'd rather see the teams like Miami and Chicago in there. So I'm going to be rooting for Miami and Chicago to fill those last two spots. But I think that Miami can actually make the most amount of noise in the playoffs if they do get in. The Marlins have, outside of the Texas Rangers, who is my favorite team in baseball, have Luis Arias. He's my favorite player to watch outside of any of the Texas Rangers. He's kind of showing us that Tony Gwynn old school style of baseball can still be productive in the modern game. He's awesome to watch. He puts the ball in play just about every time he's up to the plate, it feels like. Um, I think their pitching is pretty good. You have an ace, and, I mean, you got star power. You got the MLB show cover man on your team. I think they have the most amount of chance to make noise, but I don't know. The National League kind of seems like it's the Braves or nothing at this point. I think the Braves are making the World Series. They're too much of a juggernaut, in my opinion. And for our final question, we're going to pivot back to the NBA, and we're going to be talking about the Jordan Poole Warriors trade. The question is, how will the Warriors do without Jordan Poole? How will the Wizards do with him? I think this was one of the most intriguing offseason plays out of any of the teams. When I first saw it, I thought, man, CP3 is about to get salary dumped twice, 
And then when Draymond Green started talking on his podcast, talking about how he doesn't like Chris Paul, but he's his teammate still, it kind of seems like they're going to keep Chris Paul for this season. Um, when the first announcement of this trade was made, I didn't get it at all. I know Poole came off a rough playoff run, but I felt like a lot of that had to do with the coaching and the team just not gelling quite as well as they used to. Yes, you had the preseason fight with Draymond and Poole. I think there was something brewing a little bit deeper there. Jordan Poole might not have been seen as a culture fit for those Warriors, and that's why they shipped him off to get CP3. Why they shipped him off for C3P, CP3, sorry, I don't really know. C3, CP3 always seems like he's hurt come playoff time. The Warriors want to make a, one last push, I feel like, before they kind of break this core up and call it for their dynasty. I don't know if CP3, C3P, fuck, C3P, should have been the guy they went for. I think a guy like Pascal Siakam would have been a much better option. Um, I think Jordan Poole would have been the future if they had to break up this core eventually. Clay Thompson coming off a lot of injuries, getting up there in age. Draymond Green, I know he just signed a massive extension. He's still getting kind of old. I hope, I know, I like this Warrior system and the guys they got on the team. It's been a great dynasty, but it really didn't make sense to me at first. I thought about it a little deeper. I say, yeah, I guess that locker room is a big deal when it comes to the Warriors. Their first run, they weren't the most talented team, but the culture of the system got them to where they got. And then the, obviously they add Kevin Durant and then just became an absolute juggernaut. And then culture won it for him again after Durant leaves, bringing in guys like Wiggins and Kaminga and Jordan Poole. I think Jordan Poole is kind of frustrated he's been pushed down. He's a talented player, but being like the fifth option, six man on a team when you think you have the talent and you had the salary at that point to be an all-star every single year. I could see where the frustrations bubbled over. I think the Warriors need to add more if they want to compete for a championship. I don't think with the current roster that they have enough to beat the Nuggets or even the Lakers, honestly, if LeBron can keep going at the way he's going, which there's no reason to think he can't. So for the Warriors' end, I'm not a big fan of it. I think the Warriors will still be competitive. They'll still be a tough out in the playoffs, but as far as a championship caliber team, I think they need a lot more. As far as Jordan Poole and the Wizards go, I feel like this is a lot more exciting. Um, Poole, Kuzma, you got two guys that can get you a bucket anytime on the floor now. I think that they're a young up-and-coming roster. It feels like they've been in a rebuild for quite some time, but they've kind of been trapped by that Brad Beal salary. It's kind of hard when you got a vet like that making all that money, and then a lot of young guys that just don't seem to be panning out. So instead of drafting young guys and developing them, they're getting guys that already have been developed and just need time and opportunities to get their buckets, to get their assists, to see the floor more, get more reps. I think that was a good strategy by the Wizards. Um, I think they got a lot for Bradley Beal. I think they got a lot for CP3. God, I can't say his fucking name. But I think the Wizards are on the right path now. I think they just got to get some rotational guys that can support Kuzma and Poole, and they can be a threat in the Eastern Conference within the next couple years. I don't think this season's going to be the season to do it. They still need some more pieces, but they're going to get a see a chance, or they're going to have a chance to see these young guys grow and blossom pretty darn soon. And I think it's going to be exciting. I think Poole can be a number one option. I think Kuzma can be a number one option. It's going to be great to watch. And that will do it for our first episode of Ball Might Lie. Thank you guys for tuning in. If you'd like to submit a question about sports or anything else, hit me up at ballmightlie at gmail.com. Follow our socials. They'll be in the description. Appreciate y'all. Peace.